Good morning. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Oh my, there's no other place that I would rather be than right here. This is my favorite day of the year. It's just, it's my favorite day of the year. Hands down. Hands down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) Well, welcome all of you. For those of you that are guests, again, welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship. My name is Pastor Jim, and I've had the privilege of serving in this house as the senior pastor here for 22 years. Last week, yeah, thank you. And uh, started when I was 12, and it's been a great journey ever since. One other small piece of family news, uh, sometime around... October 16th, I'm going to wake up one morning, and I'm going to look over, and I'm going to say, Hi, Grandma, Little Miss Ellie, and Nate Tchaikovsky. I'm going to have a little baby boy or girl, so it's going to be a joyous time. So thank you for celebrating with us. Well, this morning, we are completing a series that we began here at the end of January, on the life of Joseph, entitled Living the Dream. Living the Dream. We began the series, which takes us all the way through a very large portion of the book of Genesis. In fact, outside of Jesus, and of course Paul in the New Testament, probably I don't think there's anybody else in Scripture that gets as much Time in the word is Joseph. David, yeah, David. Joseph gets a, an enormous amount of extended chronicling of his life, beginning in Genesis 37, and where it begins with Joseph's dreams, which he has, dreams that have been given by the Lord, dreams which uh, his brothers and even his parents aren't too sure about. His brothers take those dreams and seek to crush them, and so they end up selling him into slavery, into Egypt. Joseph is there 13 years. Well, first, yeah, he's there 13 years, and he's in prison, and, well, he goes through all kinds of things. He's seduced. He goes through um, times in the dungeon and waiting and waiting and waiting, and it's 13 years between the time when he gets to Egypt and the time when he's 17 years old to the time when he's 30 when suddenly the dreams that he had back when he was 17, suddenly burst forth into bloom. And then uh, for the remainder of the days and the remainder of the time that we have sharing about him in the book of Genesis, we see the story of his influence and the purposes of God unfold. Already has been referenced this morning by Hannah, thank you so much, and and also the word that came from Marie uh, today just really set up what I want to share with us as we close this series together this morning. And I want to begin our um, story this morning, our, our time together here and our conversation around the Word of the Lord with a, with a question that probably most everybody in this room has asked at one point or another in your life. And the question that I want to ask you is the question, what if? How many of you have ever asked the question, what if? Anybody ever ask, what if? I think that's just like universally human to ask the question, what if? 
So I want to take you with me for a moment into a journey of the imagination about what if. And I want to take us back and take the clock and turn it all the way back to the time of Joseph and the very day in which he is down in the cistern where his brethren have put him in the cistern. (laughs) So Joseph's brothers had put him down into this cistern and the Midianites are coming by. There's this caravan coming by and his brothers sell him in slavery. Now, remember the picture. The brothers are sitting around the outside of this well, this cistern. It's a dry cistern, and they're eating their lunch. And Joseph, it tells us later in the, in the Chronicle of Genesis here, that Joseph was pleading with them for his life. While they're eating their PBJs and Fritos. He's crying out to them, For his very life. And then this Midianite caravan comes by and his brothers sell Joseph to them for a price. Joseph goes with the caravan, taking him towards Egypt. where he is going to be enslaved. Now come with your imagination to that first evening, that first night. They're traveling across the desert. They've pitched their tents. It's dark now. It's cooling off. They've eaten their evening meal. They've drunk a fair amount of wine. It's been a long, arduous day, and they're all laying down to sleep. And the men have had just a little bit of mercy on Joseph, just enough so that perhaps he could fall asleep. They've loosened his bonds just enough so that it wouldn't be so incredibly uncomfortable that he couldn't rest at all. And you hear the sounds of what sounds like a church men's retreat begins wafting through the air. But Joseph is 17. He's a young man with a lot of physical vitality and a lot of intellectual ability. And he decides, remember we're in our imagination he recognizes that the bonds that have been loosened have been loosened just enough for him to be able to begin to wriggle free. So he undoes himself from those bonds and he begins to sneak out of the camp where all the men are sleeping. Just as he's getting to the edge of the firelight, There's this little yellow, scrappy dog who's been kind of following along the caravan, and it begins to yip and yap. Joseph is just beginning to sneak away, and the dog is starting to bark, and 
the men are beginning to get restless. But we're there watching this unfold, and we decide that we're going to help Joseph. And so we find a tent peg that that had been mislaid laying around. We grab hold of that tent peg, and we give a quick Sorry, everybody. Right on the top of that little yellow dog's head. And little Scruffy falls to the ground. Quiet. Joseph sneaks away, unnoticed by the Midianites, and begins to trek to where his brothers were and where. He gets back. He catches up with his brothers. He walks all night long, finds out where they've been camping as they've been going back home to tell their dad about his death. But he meets up with them. When they see him at first, they think he's a ghost. But no, it's actually Joseph. I'm here. It's real. Joseph, in his magnanimity, says, it's okay. I know you didn't really mean what you were doing. I forgive you, hugs all around. The brothers realize, man, we really shouldn't have done what we did. They're repentant. Everybody, there's a great... They come home to Jacob, and all is forgiven. And everything goes well. Fast forward now. 20 years. Joseph is 37, his brothers, Jacob, they're still living where they've been. And famine starts to take over the land. Everywhere. There is a horrific worldwide famine that's taken place. And there's been no preparation to prepare for the depths and and breadth of the Incredible famine that's taking place. And so, the whole earth is in agony because there's not sufficient food anywhere to be found. And Jacob and his whole family, Joseph and all of his brothers and all the rest, join the vast multitudes of others, all starving to death. What if? What if? What if you could turn back the clock in your own life? What if you could go back to certain significant events that took place for you? What if you could change the particular trajectory of certain events in your life? Can you or I really know 
what the outcome of those changes would be. What if? What if you could go back to the day when that accident took place? What if you could go back to the day that that particular wound took place in your life? For us as human beings, it's really tempting to live life in the rearview mirror and begin to ask and get immersed into those what-ifs. And, and here's what happens with the what-ifs. The what-ifs often become if-onlys. Anybody else got those? If only I hadn't done that, if only I hadn't made that decision, if only that person hadn't done that, if only this hadn't happened, if only, if only, if only, if only. Right, Steph? If only. Well, if you have found yourself in the land of what if and if only, like I have, I have a word for you today. I have a word to encourage our hearts, individually and corporately this morning. On this resurrection day, when we are coming to the close of this series of messages on living the dream, I have a word for your heart today. It's a word of encouragement and a word of exhortation. It's a word to lift you up and it's a word to press you on today in the purposes of God. Live in the dream. Now, we began this series and this particular scripture sort of has helped to inform what we're talking about, giving us sort of a broader context even to the life of Joseph and, and comes down into our own life. And it's from Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That word plans in some of your translations says thoughts. It also means devices or inventions. I know the inventions, the plans, the thoughts, the purposes, the things that I'm thinking about you. I know those things that I have for you. And they are thoughts, devices, inventions, purposes, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Now, the context here in Jeremiah, we're just reading Jeremiah right now and saturate. The context, of course, is the people of God in the midst of uh, preparing to go into bondage to the Babylonians for 70 years. They're enslaved. There are all kinds of troubles and difficulties around their lives. And Jeremiah is some heavy waiting, okay? He's the weeping prophet for a reason. He's weeping over. It's God weeping over his people who keep going away from him. And in the midst of all of that, God speaks this word of hope to that people. And He speaks that word of hope to you and to me today. I know the thoughts I have for you. Here's what God is saying. He is thinking about you today and He has devised a unique plan for your life 
a creative plan for the intention of you experiencing a positive and fulfilling future. God has a dream for you. God has a dream for you. Sometimes we think of God, I mean, we have so many misconceptions about who God is. It's not even funny. But I want you to know today this reality that God has a purpose and a plan and a dream for your life. And it's a plan for your good. It's for your good. Now, don't confuse good with necessarily eternal or, 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 or uh, like day by day always that life will be happy and just, you know, akuna matata. Okay? That's not what we're talking about here. In fact, God's purpose for your life is not just to make you happy. He's about making you holy and whole. That's what he's really after. But it's for our good. And what I want you to understand is that a dream, the dream that God has for your life, the dreams that he imparts into you is a high and holy ideal. It's an aspiration towards a particular goal. It's a compelling plan that we want to accomplish, a course which we are passionate about, a call to a particular kind or place of service, a vision of what we want to accomplish in that service. A dream is not a pipe dream. It's not wishful thinking. It's substantial and it's significant. God has a substantial and significant purpose for your life. It's a lot bigger and better than the American dream. Let me give you a heads up. The American dream, the, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, at the end of life, the one with the most toys wins. That's the American dream. But let me tell you, it is not a true dream. It's not a dream that actually brings life. Because at the end of the day, the one with the most toys doesn't necessarily win. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. You don't see any hearses pulling a U-Haul. God has something much bigger for you. But pastor, you don't know my life. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I've experienced. I don't. I know what I've gone through. I know what I've experienced. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. He's a realist. We don't claim that promise. Oh, Jesus. I'm claiming that promise. It is one of the promises. (laughs) Not one we claim. We don't have to. Because we know it's coming. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And here's where we come into this morning. And the word that I want to bring to you today. It's very simple. But it's profound if you will catch hold of it. So grab hold of it this morning. I want to talk about 50-20 dream vision. Genesis 45-5, Joseph says, 
And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It says in Genesis 45, 8, So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. And then, here's the penultimate here in Genesis chapter 50, 20. We are now at the end of the story here of Joseph and his reunification with his brothers and lots of stuff is unfolded during the intervening time. And then, Joseph says these words, Genesis 50, 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so here, Genesis 50, 20, it's typed in your bulletin. I want you to grab hold of this. You can even cut it out of your bulletin when you go home today and stick it up on your mirror in your car or in your bathroom or wherever it is or in your Bible somewhere. Highlight it, underline it, learn it, actually memorize it, remember it, that even though, and he's talking about his brothers, you intended to harm me, You became my enemy. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now here's where it gets cool. (laughs) That word intended? Remember Jeremiah 29.11? For I know the thoughts, the plans that I have for you. Same Hebrew word. Same word. The enemy also has devices and plans. He's got stuff he's trying to work out in your life. But remember, the enemy comes only to do what? Steal, kill, destroy. John 10.10, the enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. And what? Life to the full. Abundant life. So even though the enemy comes and intends and has devised and purposed and planned in your life to try to harm you, the news this morning that I want to bring to you is that what the enemy intends to do to harm you, God, who is the ultimate recycler and the, you know, I I think of this and I, I hope, just hang with me for a moment. The ultimate, and I don't even know anything about it, but martial arts master who takes, you know, in martial arts, when somebody's coming at you, you take whatever's coming at you and you turn it? It's about as much as I know, okay? But God takes anything that the enemy is pointing your way, and God has a way of turning it! And bringing forth good. He's the one who brings beauty out of ashes. 
the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, that you might be oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Because He's making you holy and whole. He's putting your roots down. He's bearing, you know, the sweetest fruit comes from the lives that have experienced sometimes the deepest wounds. New Testament teaches us the same thing. Romans 8.28, we know that in all things, God works for the... He works for what? What does He work for? Thank you. I love having kingdom kids here. He works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. So let me take a run at giving you what I, here's my definition. Pastor Jim's definition of 50-20 vision. 50-20 vision combines sight, hindsight, and foresight. What I see, what's gone before, and what I, what's coming ahead of me. And looking through the lens of faith, it enables us to see behind and beyond the surface of our circumstances into the depths of God's purposes. Let me say this again because it took me a while to craft the words around it and it takes a while to sort of grab what it's actually saying. Let me just say it again. 50-20 vision combines sight, hindsight, and foresight. It looks through the lens of faith. We all have lenses. Right? We all have lenses that we're looking at life through. You understand what I mean? A perspective, a way that we're seeing. But 50-20 vision looks through the lens of faith and enables us to see behind and beyond the surface of our circumstances. Sometimes all we can see is what's right in front of us. You ever ridden with somebody who's just learning how to drive? And they're looking at the road and everything, you know, and it's just like... Because they're not looking up, right, Alan? You've got to get them to look up a little bit, right? Look up. Beyond the surface of our circumstances into the depths of God's purposes. Now, did anybody hear somebody this morning reference Hebrews chapter 12? I heard it twice. Interesting. I didn't even tell them about what I was preaching this morning. But Hebrews 12, 2 and 3 begins verse 1 with, Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off, let us throw off the sin and the weights that so easily entangle. Let us run the race that is set out before us. Let us walk into the destiny and purposes that God has for our lives. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, 
scorning its shame and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful man so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus had 50-20 vision. Right? He saw beyond the immediate circumstance. So He willingly laid down His life. He chose the sacrifice. That was referenced this morning. He chose that sacrifice so that He could open the scrolls that Chris read earlier from Revelation chapter 5. Jesus became able to do that because of the 50-20 vision that He had. To see beyond and beneath His immediate circumstance, He was able to go before and break through that veil of death. Hallelujah! (laughs) Hallelujah! I'm so glad. So we fix our eyes on Him who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Because guess what? It begins with Him and it's sustained by Him. You can't grit your teeth into 50-20 vision. You can't do it with your own strength. You can only do it by keeping your eyes on Jesus. Really, honestly. It's the only way Right, Ron? Have you experienced that? You know, you could go back and say, what if? Right? (laughs) Probably have a couple times. But God says, no, we're going to look on. We're going to fix our eyes so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, take heart. So here's what I'm, here's the word. Are you hearing it? Let it build your spirit this morning. Let it penetrate beyond the surface of your circumstance today and, and hear the heart of the Lord for you. Take heart today. Thank you, Tina. Is anybody else? Take heart today. Take heart. All right. So, Here's how we're going to complete the conversation this morning. I want to ask this question. How can we develop 50-20 vision? How do I do... Okay, that's great. Sounds good. Yes! Now what? (laughs) What do I do? How do I get this? How do I develop 50-20 vision? I'm so glad you asked because I believe Lord has given some instruction that I think is going to help you. It helps me. So let's, let's do it. First, relinquish control to God. Oh boy. Well, <laughs> let me tell you, that one's easier to write than it is to live. You see, there are really three choices 
Can you check the young men? Thanks. Terry? No, the young men who just all... So we can grasp. We can resign. We can relinquish. Grasp. Resign. Relinquish. Do with me. Grasp. Resign. Relinquish. Surrender is always the answer to every question in your life that's of any significance as it relates to God. There's always the invitation to surrender. Now, here's a scripture for you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7 and 12 to 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. What? Rejoice Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with with thanksgiving present your request to god and the peace of god which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus i know what it is to be in need and i know what it is to have plenty i've learned the secret i have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want i can do everything through Him who gives me strength. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. The everything that He's talking about there is in the context of, I mean, the biggest everything He's talking about there, and we use this in all kinds of different contexts, but the context here that He's talking about is the everything of contentment. Of actually being in the place where we are resting in God. But to do that requires us relinquishing control to Him and recognizing that, in fact, He is the one who actually controls our circumstances. Now, I began the story this morning with Joseph recounting and we did our imaginary what if. But think about the reasoning behind what happened in Joseph's story that wouldn't have happened if we had done our imaginary what if. Listen carefully. Being sold into slavery took Joseph to Egypt where later God had time to make a large nation out of Israel as they lived within Egyptian protection. Being sold to Potiphar, captain of the king's guard, enabled Joseph to be thoroughly immersed in an Egyptian culture and brought him one step away from Pharaoh himself. His false arrest and imprisonment through a spurned wife's accusations took him to the royal jail where he was to meet Joseph's chief servants and interpret their dreams. 
his being forgotten by the ungrateful cupbearer for two years led to his being remembered right at the exact moment when he could become the only possible interpreter of Pharaoh's dreams. Do you get this? Do you see this? How all the pieces worked together for what? All the pieces work together for good. I love this story. I'm going to tell you this story. You know, one of my heroes, and probably for many of you as well, is Corey Tenboom. Remember her and her sister Betsy, who, who had um, provided their family, provided shelter for Jews during World War II, and they ended up being put in... Um, you know, camps themselves and went through this horrible experience of being in those camps. And, and they tell this story. Now listen, to this. This, is, this is a true story. This is Corey talking about this, explaining what, what this was like. At one point of their imprisonment, Corey and Betsy were transferred from crowded cells where they had been separated for months to Barracks 28. Within the hour, they discovered that their reeking straw beds were crawling with with fleas. How can we live in such a place, Corey wailed softly. Without answering, Betsy immediately began praying, Show us, Lord, show us how. Then a moment later, excitedly, Corey He's given us the answer. I read it in, I read it in the Bible this morning. Here, read that part again. It was in 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in, not for, in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. We're to thank Him in every single thing about the new barracks. Such as, Corey was trying to look with fresh eyes at a half-dark, foul-smelling room. Such as being together here. Oh, yes. Having managed so far to hang on to that Bible. Yes. Oh, yes. Thank you, Lord, for that. And for the fleas. Betsy, I see no way I can thank God for fleas. But fleas are a part of this place where God has put us. Give thanks in all circumstances, it says, not just pleasant circumstances. So the two women thanked God for the fleas. As the days wore on, the prisoners in Barracks 28 discovered that there was an astonishing lack of supervision or interference. Corey and Betsy used the unprecedented freedom to talk to the other prisons Prisoners read the Bible to them and minister to them in myriad ways. Then one day a supervisor tipped her hand as to why they were given so much latitude. Some of the women had called through the grilled door to ask the supervisor to come and settle a dispute. She refused, as did the guards. That place is crawling with fleas, the supervisor said. I wouldn't step through that door. And Corey's mind rushed back to their first hour in the barracks and to their rueful prayer, thanking God for fleas. And when she looked up, Betsy was chuckling and her eyes were sparkling. So, now we know why we were supposed to praise Him even for the fleas. Even the fleas had to be instruments 
for our good. Amen? Amen. Praise God for the fleas. I don't know about any of you. That's a stretching one. But it's part of learning to relinquish control to God. Let us relinquish control to Him. Secondly, remember His promises. Remember His promises. I love this scripture. I've shared it with you before, but I would, it, it's intricately connected to the 50-20 dream vision. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 22. Hear it again. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us by, spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now let me just very quickly unpack this for you. Because I really have wrestled with God around this passage. Because I, my life at times does not feel like it is in alignment with this word. And so I have discovered in my life that when it doesn't seem like my life is aligning with his word, it's probably not his word that's the issue. But it's how I'm perceiving it, understanding it, or God needs to just tutor me and take me deep, more deeply to see more clearly what he's saying. And here's what I discovered, and I've shared this before, but I want to remind you of it this morning, and some of you have not heard it. As I was wrestling with God and I said, God, there are times where I know that you have said, I know you say that your promises are yes in Christ. And I'm to say the amen, so be it. I'm going to come in agreement with your yes. But God, right now, in my circumstance, the yes does not look like a yes. It looks like a no. And what do I do with that? Hmm. Here's what he said to me. He said, son, look for the yes behind the no. Look for my yes behind the no. Because what looks to you like a no, there is a yes there, but it's often shadowed or hidden behind what appears in my circumstance to be a no. That's 50-20 vision. 50-20 vision looks behind and beyond my circumstance. And that, people of God, is a discipline to ask the Lord, where is your yes? The yes behind death is resurrection. There is yeses behind the no's in your life. And I love this. He anointed us. The Spirit of God, Jesus Christ Himself, with His Spirit, has anointed us. And remember anointing. 
Remember what anointing is. It's not something just mystical and misty out there. Anointing is actually the oil. It's the oil of fatness, literally. And it means if you are yoked to fears and pain and woundedness, you're yoked to sinfulness and brokenness, you're yoked to all of these things from your past. When God comes and anoints you, He actually, you know, think of a a, a yoke on an ox. He actually fattens your neck so that those yokes no longer fit on you. He breaks every chain. We sang it this morning. It's true. He breaks every yoke that is not of Him. And He does it through His promises and building your capacity from the inside out. He comes to transform our lives. He comes to transform our lives. He's not just tidying up around the edges. He's doing full renovation. To bring you into the fullness of what and who He has intended for you to be. One more. Got to have this in here. It's Resurrection Day. Did you know that? He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. Did you realize He's risen? Yes, you have. So rejoice in the resurrection. What does that mean? What does that mean for 5020 vision? First of all, it means that the cross is a doorway to resurrection. The cross is a doorway to resurrection. Jesus said these words. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Whoever will lose his life for me will save it. If you want to walk into the fullness of the purposes of God, I'm going to tell you something that it's going to require. (laughs) You're going to have to die to yourself. You're going to have to take your hand off the steering wheel of your life. You're going to have to take your good self off the nice throne of your life that you've got yourself camped out in. And you're going to have to step off of that throne and let Him be on the throne of your life. And that happens when we recognize that there is absolutely nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God. And we acknowledge that we have sinned and every single one of us in this room has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way for any of us, for you or I, to find ourselves back to Him, the only thing that can bridge that unbridgeable gulf between us and God is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is what He did when He died for you. He loved you this much that He was willing to die and lay down His life so that you might live. And if you want to live, you are going to have to die to yourself and live in Christ by receiving Him, the forgiveness that He's offered to you. To repent, to say, God, I realize, I've, you know, if you haven't come to Christ, 
you're going to figure it out either now or along the way here that it just is not working very well for you. It just isn't. It's Man, being in control of your own life is exhausting. Not to mention futile, but it's exhausting. And at some point it's like, okay, <laughs> I surrender. Get your hands up, I surrender, I surrender. Okay, God, I surrender. And you're going to do it, every one of us, every person, every human being who's ever lived on earth is going to do that one time or another. It says at the end of days, every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ as Lord. But it's much better to choose to do it now because that's the doorway into resurrection and salvation and eternal life in God. And the other option is to say, no, I'm going to hang on to control of my own life. And God says, you can do that. I love you so much you can do that. But if you do that, you will be eternally separated from me. Not just now on this life, but for eternity. Because there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And we choose now. The cross is the doorway to resurrection. My invitation to you this morning, if you've never received Christ, at the end of the day here, when I'm done sharing in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to take that step. I'm going to invite you to step into life in Jesus Christ. This is Resurrection Day. It can be your Resurrection Day with Christ. I love this. Sue Anderson sent me this quote she'd ran across in her devotions one day back a few weeks ago. Is it not for all its sting a glorious way to live, to want, to dream, to pray almost savagely, and then wait to see God pile aside all of your dreams and replace them with what you could not even dare to dream. Love that. Yes. That's what he does. We have to die. We even die to our own dreams, our own, you know, our own stuff in order to receive his. Lord spoke this into my spirit several months ago. The tomb is a womb. He just gave me that phrase. The tomb is a womb. What? He said, yes, the tomb is a womb. The tomb is a womb for new birth. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. I'm not going to crawl back up inside. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of the water of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. In the tomb of our lives, when it seems like everything that we have grasped for has died, that becomes the womb out of which something new can be birthed and born. We heard a lot on Good Friday. It was so beautiful about Holy Saturday and the waiting and living between the, resurrect, between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Between them is the tomb. But i telling you this morning on this resurrection day that that tomb, that in that tomb is the womb out of which God births new things in His children. Spirit gives birth to spirit. In that place, it becomes that womb. And finally, the resurrection is the exclamation point that proves that nothing is impossible with God. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, but Christ has 
indeed been raised from the dead and is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So people of God this morning know this, that the resurrection is God's exclamation point that says nothing is impossible with God. If there were not an empty tomb, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then our faith would be in vain. However, I tell you this morning that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead and therefore we too can be made alive forever. Hallelujah. And that's what 50-20 vision will tell you. That's what 50-20 vision will inform your life. It will remind you that nothing is impossible with God. So we rejoice in the resurrection. We relinquish control to God. We remember His promises and we look for the yes behind the no. And then we rejoice in the resurrection knowing that the door that looks so ugly, the cross... See, at the cross, Satan thought he'd won. Satan was rejoicing. He thought, finally, I've killed God. And on that Saturday when he was in the tomb, Satan and his minions were all excited. They were having some kind of party. We killed God. We're dancing. We killed him. He's dead. He's gone. And early that morning, early that morning, early in the morning, there was suddenly, there was a shaking. And there was a moving. Suddenly in that tomb, there was a wind, there was a breath. Suddenly, the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus, sat up, got up on his feet. Suddenly, the story was all different. He's here, he comes out of that tomb. He is risen. 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 Hallelujah. So now and forever we live with 50-20 dream vision, people of God. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. This morning, if you've been, you haven't been living a dream, it feels like you've been living the nightmare. 
And you've spent time in the land of what if and if only. This morning, the Lord has a word for you. That the end of the story is not yet written. You're not yet done. That there is a God in heaven who has been raised up to bring life and who has defeated the power of sin and death now and forever. If you've never received Christ as your Savior and Lord today, I'm going to invite you to do that. If you just close your eyes right here, right now, everybody in the room, and you realize this morning, you've seen a lot of stuff this morning, maybe maybe you haven't been in church in a long time, maybe you've never been in this church, maybe you have been, but you recognize this morning, I don't really have that life in me. And I want that. I don't know all of what it means, but I want it. With eyes closed, would you just lift up your hand and lift it up high enough for me to see this morning? You know I need that life. All right, I see hands all over. This morning, there is life for you. Would you just pray with me right now? All together in this house. Pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. I thank you that you were resurrected and broke the power of sin and death. Lord, I realize today that I am a sinner. And that, Lord, my life is separate from You. But I don't want to be separate any longer. So today I receive the gift of Your life. I am sorry for my sins. I repent of my sins. I turn away from my sins. I turn away from my sins. And I turn to you today. And I turn to you today. And I receive your forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness. And I receive your life. I receive your life. Jesus, may your spirit come and live inside of me now. Jesus, may your spirit come and live inside of me now. Help me to obey you. Help me to follow You. Help me to serve You. Help me to represent You well. Both now and all the days of my life. And Jesus, I look forward to the day when I will see You face to face and I will join the great cloud of witnesses. And I will rejoice at your throne forever and ever, giving you honor and glory, King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, you are my Savior, you are my Lord, 
You are my King. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. You know, so many times we just preach on the resurrection that He died and He arose. But, and you look at that and it's that 50-20 vision. Yeah, He died. But why did He die? He died and it says, He went and He took those keys of death in Hades. It says, Behold, I got those keys of death. Come on, I got those keys. We don't got to die because He died for us. So that death is not the end. It is the beginning. And that's why He died and rose. Because He paid that ultimate price so that we can keep going. You know, it's just like a... We're here on that pit stop, you know. It's short, but then, you know, there's eternity. So I'm going to say, He's got those keys. He, he paid that price. Hallelujah! Yes! Yes. You see... That's so good, Matthew. A couple months ago, the Lord spoke this to me. I shared it with the at the Alpha for ESOL. When we die, we don't go to sleep. When we die, we wake up. Amen. You know, we're we're kind of awake now, but then. We're going to be really awake. If you just open your hands. Receive the benediction this morning. Jesus. Jesus. This morning, we truly do rejoice in your resurrection. In the reality of all that it has accomplished. Thank you that we no longer need to hide. We no longer need to fear. Thank you that we've got really nothing to prove. We don't have anything to lose because we can fully surrender to you and receive all the gift of your life that you've given to us. And Jesus, we, we embrace you, our King, today with grateful hearts. We say, thank you, Jesus. We say, thank you, Jesus. We say, thank you, Jesus. And now I pray that on this resurrection day, that you may be filled afresh with your hands open, receive the blessing of the Lord today. I pray that you would be filled afresh with the immeasurable love of God the Father with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength, power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit, be with you and yours as you go from this house to your house, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go 
with the goodness of the Lord surrounding your life with the banner of His favor waving over you. And until we gather again, either in this house or our eternal home, I bless you, people of God, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.